Good morning. Good morning. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to start going through the book of 1 Peter. And so I encourage you to start reading it. And uh, when you, I preach through a book, if you uh, are reading it ahead of time, you always get more out of it. So I encourage you to read it multiple times. Uh, just take different translations and uh, go through that. Matthew 25 says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Three weeks ago, before the Easter season, uh, I did the message on uh, the love of strangers, hospitality meaning the love of strangers, from a biblical perspective. Today, I want to do part two of that, but we aren't going to look at the Bible this morning, because sometimes when we're applying the Bible, we have to talk through the implications of that. And so I want to just talk what it means to love the stranger in our context. We're a multicultural church. And it's so easy for us to think that we're doing well at this and yet be missing it. When I was in grade 12, my brother and I went to Suriname, South America, on a mission project. And while we were there, we were staying with a Canadian missionary. He was just new there. He was learning the language. Uh, he was a friend of ours. And so we had the three of us young Canadians all living together. Uh, we met an East Indian couple who they were school teachers and uh, they were very interested in learning about Canada. And so one evening they invited us over asking us to come around 8.30. We never clued into the cultural differences. We got home at, uh, from work uh, after six o'clock. Uh, each of us three guys took a shower uh, we then cooked ourselves a big meal, uh, enjoyed it, and then at 8.30 we went to visit this uh, East Indian couple. And we sat down and we visited for a few minutes and then out came some appetizers and uh, we ate some appetizers and we visited for a while longer. And then it came some more appetizers, different ones, and we had about three courses of appetizers doing this. And then comes out a main course. And we visited and we ate this main course and, and uh, for a while longer and then uh, all of a sudden comes another main course. And by this time we were struggling. <laughs> we were stuffed. We'd had a big supper and now we had all this food just coming our way. And they began to notice that we were slowing down in our eating. And they became concerned. And don't you like our food? Yes, we like our food. Well, you must not. You know, you aren't eating much. And... We'll cook you a whole new meal. Well, our missionary host by this time, he caught on. And uh, he explained and apologized. And uh, he explained how in our culture, you come home after work, you eat your meal, you kind of eat everything together. And uh, then you go out and visit in the evening if someone's invited you in the evening. In their culture, the evening meal began at 8 to 8.30, and over the next two to three hours, you would leisurely eat the meal while you're visiting, one course at a time. And they never thought about our culture being different and explaining to us what they were inviting us to. And we never thought about their culture being different and having to ask what are we being invited to. You see, each of us had good intentions. 
but each of us were clueless about the other, and we totally missed it. Now, thankfully, after explaining and uh, there was understanding, uh, we all had a good laugh, and we enjoyed a wonderful evening together. But because of that misunderstanding, we missed out experiencing an East Indian cultural meal, and they were disappointed because they wanted us to experience their culture. And food is so important in experiencing culture. Now, why do I tell the story? The point is, we can think we're doing so well, yet be totally misunderstanding each other. Because we all have biases in life, we all have worldviews, we all struggle, struggle with prejudice to some extent, even when we think we don't have prejudices. Years ago, in another community, I went to help a farmer branding his calves, and every year they made this a fun event. They would invite uh, several friends to come and help, and then they'd have a big meal afterwards. And uh, one of those friends they were inviting had a man from Southern States there visiting. He was a black man. And uh, while he was there during the day, he just had a blast just uh, wrestling those calves, helping with the branding. And after we were all done, and we we're heading back to the house, and we're all riding in the back of this pickup truck, he made a comment to us. He said, you know, I've really enjoyed this day. I never thought that I would enjoy a day spent with a bunch of white guys. Where I come from, he said, that would be impossible. I would never be accepted by the white people. But you've accepted me just like I was one of you. He said, I thought all white people were prejudiced. And I haven't faced any prejudice today. You see, he couldn't conceive <coughs> of white people not being prejudiced. But in that, his own thinking is prejudiced by his experience that he grew up with. You know, it just illustrates we all have misunderstandings and misconceptions which we don't even realize that we have. It's human nature to think that our culture and our ways of doing things are the best. Our food is the best, our humor is the best, our language is the best. That's human nature to think that no matter what culture you come from. Because our culture is such a part of who we are, we may not even realize how we're interacting in a negative way with people of another culture. So what is our goal as Christian people? Our goal as Christian people is to be a multicultural Christ culture church. So what do I mean by that? <coughs> Excuse me. A multicultural Christ culture takes the principles of scripture and asks the question, how do I apply these scriptural principles within the context of a multicultural church? You see, in a multicultural setting, we're not trying to change so many of the things that form culture. Because much of culture is centered around food and likes and dislikes that are shaped by our culture. We're not trying to change that. But we're trying to apply scriptural principles in the context of that. So what does love look like in our setting? What does respect look like in our setting? And you might be saying, well, the scriptural principle of respect and love looks the same in all cultures, doesn't it? 
No, it doesn't. Our oldest daughter married a Fijian man. He immigrated to Canada. Now, in Fiji, respect for a pastor is you don't speak to him. Because in their culture, they have a strong hierarchy. And so if you're a chief of the village, you don't speak to him. And in fact, if the chief comes along, you have to sit down on the ground while he passes by. A pastor is next under the chief. You don't speak to him either unless he asks you a question. And you only directly answer the question, that's it. You don't have to sit on the ground when he walks by, but there's still many of the same similar things. And so, because of our son-in-law, we have uh, known and interacted with many of the Fijian people as they come to Canada, as they immigrate here. And as they watch me in a Canadian church cultural setting, they'll say to me, your people don't respect you. Why do they think that? Because they are judging what our people do here through their cultural lens. And I have to tell them, oh yes, they do respect me, they just show it in a different way. Now when we went to Fiji, and we went to my son-in-law's village, and I looked at the pastor there, and uh, he took us there first, and uh, they go through what they call the protocol. Uh, they introduce you to him, and uh, you answer any questions he has, and so on. But as we interacted in the next few days with the village people, I would watch him. And he would sit on a rock, a big, huge rock, in the center of the village. And he watched the village life go around him. But they didn't talk to him. Because that would have been disrespe disrespectful. Now when I went there, knowing this, I asked my son-in-law, I said, when we go to your village, can we just keep it quiet that I'm a pastor? <laughs> because I want to interact with the people. I want to be able to talk with the people. I want to be able to experience your culture. And so we did that uh, while we we're there. But you see the picture there. Biblical principle of respect, but in the different cultures, it looks different. You see, the Bible gives the principle, but culture shapes the expression of that principle. And so when we're talking about loving the stranger, what does that principle look like in our multi multicultural setting? We have to figure that out. Because culture is so important because culture gives us the framework of how to act. And without a framework of how we conduct ourselves, we get lost. And so this is so important why we understand each other, we seek to understand the other cultures that are here. Not just expect them to adapt to you. So that's what I want to encourage this morning. I hope I set you on a journey of educating yourself. Educating yourself on how other cultures think. Uh, educating yourself on what they value, educating yourself on their worldview. I encourage you to read, uh, Google's your friend in this. 
take the cultures that you're experiencing here in this church and go and research them. What do they value? What's important to them? How do they think? And then secondly, ask questions. Most people, when you ask them questions about their culture, they're delighted to talk about it. And so ask questions. Try to understand the lens through which they view the world. And then evaluate and understand the lens through which you view the world. You see, we grow up in a culture and we don't tend to evaluate ourselves. We just do it because it's the way you were brought up. But try to understand yourself and how that's interacting. And then we need to bring that into a Christ culture. And I'll say this, be prepared for failures. You will fail. You will make mistakes. And most people are very gracious if they know that you're honestly trying. But be gracious to each other. Be as gracious as that East Indian couple was to three young naive men so long ago. See it as a journey, a normal process of learning to worship with and grow together with the people who are different from you. Don't make it into a program. Don't make it into a project. <coughs> no one wants to be a project. Make it about a relationship. Make it more about who we are. So make the relationship a priority rather than it being a task. So now I want us to move into uh, material that's presented by uh, Sarah Lanier in her book, Foreign to Familiar. And I really encourage you to get this book and read it. And uh, you can, uh, if you don't want to buy it, uh, go to our town library, order it in, and they'll bring it in for you. But I'm going to give you some of the principles, just starting with one today, and then we're going to look at some next week. And, uh, but we can't give near everything that she gives. But Sarah begins the book with this story from her life. Now, Sarah grew up in Israel. Uh, the Delta flight was leaving on time. Three of us were strapped in, one next to the other, each finding it, uh, finding it easy to make small talk. As the plane lifted off, our burdens have off, so did our burdens have off as work. We were off to Glorieta, New Mexico for a week-long conference, and our minds were filled with thoughts of mountains and crisp air and a break from the Atlanta downtown routine. So, Sarah... My aisle seat companion said in that chatty manner of a tourist on vacation, tell me, what was it like growing up in Israel? Of all conversation openers, this was my least favorite. I've been hearing it ever since moving to the States to begin my university studies, but being in the middle seat, I couldn't escape. My desire was to respond, no, you first. Tell me what it was like growing up in a ranch-style house in suburbia. What is there to say? Who cares anyways? But I did answer. Well, sort of. It was great, was the extent of my glib answer. No, I really mean it. Really, she insisted. What's the culture like over there? By the window seat sat Ada from Lebanon. She'd been in the States eight years and was much more of an expert on Middle Eastern culture than I was. But at the moment, Ada seemed fascinated by the window, so I took up the challenge. Well, I grew up in a variety of cultures. The Jewish and Arab cultures are vastly different. How so, she asked. 
In the Jewish culture, you say what you think, it's direct, and you know where you stand with people. I glanced at her to see if she was still with me. She was, so I continued. The Arab culture, on the other hand, is much more indirect. It's all about friendliness and politeness. If offered a cup of coffee, I say, no, thank you. The host offers it again, and I decline, decline again with something like, no, no, don't bother yourself. He might offer it a third time, and I'd reply, no, I really don't want any coffee. Believe me. Then my host serves me coffee, and I drink it. <laughs> you got to be kidding, she said. No, really, I assured her. You're supposed to refuse the first few times. It's the polite thing to do. Then what if you really don't want any coffee, she answered. She asked. Well, then there are idioms you can use to say that you wouldn't for any reason refuse their kind hospitality. And at some point in the future, you'll gladly join them in a coffee, but at that moment, you really can't drink it. Now, Ada got into the conversation. Incredible. I didn't know that, she said. Ada, I replied. What do you mean you didn't know that? You're Lebanese. Yes, she said, but I didn't know that this was not normal. I've been in the United States for eight years already, and I did not realize that it was done differently here. That explains so much. I've been lonely since moving here, and now I know why. When people in the office would ask me if I wanted to go for lunch, I would say no, politely to them, to be polite, fully expecting them to ask me again. When they didn't and they left without me, I thought they really didn't want me along, and they'd only asked out of politeness. In my culture, it would have been too forward to say yes the first time. For this reason, I've had few American friends. After all these years, now I know why. And then Sarah said, I sat there stunned. Pondering the sadness of her story, I said to myself, no one should have to suffer like that simply because they don't understand the culture of another. You know, these stories are common. And I've seen the lack of understanding cause so many problems. I've seen groups go on mission trips and they come home all excited, not realizing the confusion they've left behind them. One group went to work in a village and they were doing some construction work there and that was all arranged with the village and so on ahead of time. But while they're there, they noticed this old lady in the village who was struggling to get around. And uh, in front of her little house, it was just dirt and it was uneven and rough. And they were doing cement work for the other construction project. And they just, well, let's make her a sidewalk. We'll make things easier for her. What they didn't realize, though, in their culture, they were taking her and they were elevating her above everyone else. And they weren't going through proper protocol and getting proper permission. And it almost ruined their mission trip. And damage control had to be done. Now, they could have done it if they'd followed the right protocol. They'd honored the right people and had asked the right questions. But they were from a direct culture. I see a need. Let's do it. Get it done. group went from a church to go help out an orphanage in Africa. They're going there to do some construction work, which was needed and appreciated. But while they're there, one of the men began to notice all the inefficiencies of the orphanage. If they would do this a little better, different, 
it would work better. And this, it would do, it would be better. And so while he's there, he made himself a list of all the things that they could improve on. And he took that list to the leader of the orphanage. And it created a lot of hurt and a lot of confusion. Yes, what he was saying would be more efficient, but it was ignoring all the cultural implications. And it was trampling on those cultural implications that he had no clue about. And again, it almost derailed the mission trip. Now those who study cultures, they divide the world into hot, or sometimes I'll call them warm cultures, versus cold cultures. Now that makes it sound like one culture is better than the other. Well, we have to say, well, a warm person, well, that's good, that's nice. A cold person, well, that's bad. You don't want to be a cold person. Well, a better way is uh, to uh, say a hot climate culture or a cold climate culture. Cultures from hot climates tend to be similar and cultures from cold climates tend to be similar. Though in cold cultures, you can find hot cultures and vice versa. Tribal groups and rural farming communities tend to be more hot climate cultures, no matter what part of the world they're from. Industrial nations tend to be more cold climate culture, no matter what part of the world they're from. And no culture is truly one or the other. And so think of it like a line graph, and uh, a culture can fit anywhere on that line. And uh, you might be fairly middle and have aspects of both. But we tend to divide into one or the other. And so it does help us to understand cultural differences. So in a hot climate culture, relationship is the basis of everything, even in the work setting. So relationship takes, tends to take precedence over task or efficiency. In a cold climate culture, efficiency is the value. Task is what is important. So that doesn't mean that one culture is better than the other. What it does mean is each culture has its strengths and its weaknesses. And unfortunately, when you put the two types of cultures together, they tend to clash. You have a culture clash. So let me illustrate this clash. So our First Nations in Canada are hot climate cultures, even though they're living in a cold climate. So relationship is the central value. So when we pastored in high level for so many years, uh, we were dealing with both cultures there. And so high level is an oil town, a logging town, a sawmill town. It's an industrial town. It's a cold cultural town. So I'll just take, for example, the sawmill. It's all about efficiency and performance. Uh, hey, great guys, we hit a record of 1.6 million board feet cut today. You know, we can hit 1.7. Problem is, when they hit 1.7, great guys, we can do 1.8. And so it's always about increasing efficiency and production. If something breaks down, the pressure is just on because every moment they're broken down is money lost. Hundreds of thousands of dollars can be. And so it's a workplace cold culture to the extreme. But Hadeva also has the sizable First Nation communities and their hot culture people. Now our church was about a kilometer out of town and just beyond the church was one of the reserves. And many then would walk from town to the reserve and from reserve back. 
And sometimes they'd stop in for a visit, and especially it was cold outside and uh, they needed to warm up. And one day two men stopped in and one of them was, he was passing out drunk at that point. The other guy was sober. And in fact, as soon as they sat down, the drunk guy, he did pass out in his chair. And so we just let him sleep it off for a while and the other man and I visited. And he was heartbroken. He had gotten a new job a week earlier and he loved his job. And then his friend had come to visit him from another province. Culturally, relationship is the highest value. He couldn't go to work and leave his friend alone. He had to entertain his friend. So he'd already missed three days of work <coughs> taking care of his friend. And on this particular day, his friend wanted to go to the bar and he couldn't tell him no. He didn't want to go to the bar. He didn't want to drink. But his friend did, and his friend was the visitor. So he had to take him to the bar. Nor did he have the extra money to entertain his friend at the bar, but he couldn't say no. So now they were walking home, and his friend was going to be leaving the next day. And I asked this man, I said, so what about your job? What's going to happen? He said, that's why I'm heartbroken. He says, I know I don't have a job now. Because the culture at the workplace is cold culture. It's about efficiency. It's about showing up on time every day and giving a good day's work. And he wanted to do that, but he was caught by his culture, which valued relationship over efficiency. And so he was caught between the hot and the cold cultures. Now, not understanding the differences can lead to a lot of misunderstandings. When warm cultures come into our cold culture setting, we can be welcoming in a cold culture way, thinking that we are very warm and welcoming. Yet, the warm culture person doesn't understand our culture and may not recognize your efforts at being warm and welcoming. In fact, your efforts of being warm and welcoming may, as it goes through their cultural lens, come across as rude or even rejection. And you can go vice versa on this. This is why you'll see so many cultures from a warm culture, they'll tend to move to an area where there's more warm culture people because it's way easier to fit in. Cold culture people will move to where there's cold culture people. It's easier to fit in. It's when the warm and the cold cultures mix that those cultural differences are harder to bridge. But in Christ we can. In Christ we must. So let me start with one of the main differences just briefly here this morning. And uh, so the first one is relationship versus task orientation. We've already talked about some of that. President Jimmy Carter in the U.S. is remembered as one of the better negotiators with Middle Eastern affairs. But at the time, he frustrated so many in the West. When he met with Egypt's Anwar Sadat and uh, Israel's Prime Minister for peace talks, uh, the world just waited for them to come out of those closed doors and give some news, and they waited one day, and two days, and three days, and on a went, and nothing was coming out. And the media was frustrated. But meanwhile, behind those closed doors, 
those three world leaders were talking about their families, even getting to know the names of their grandchildren and the likes and the dislikes and so on. It wasn't until the third day that they began to talk about the issues between their countries and they began to forge an international relationship. They spent two days forging a personal relationship first. But the result was the Camp David Accords. And so Jimmy Carter, a peanut farmer from South Georgia, he grew up as a hot climate person, culture. He knew all about not rushing into the, a deal with other hot climate people, but to develop a relationship first. It was natural to him because that's how he would do it. Whereas the cold climate culture would be about task orientation. Let's get it in here. Let's get a deal made between us. Let's announce it to the media. Let's get it done. And so, Hot climate culture is relationship-based, whereas cold climate culture is task-based. And even in the low transaction, so if you go to hot climate culture, you went into a store for some nails, uh, you would, they'd maybe come up and greet you, and you would talk about the weather, you would talk about your children, uh, things that might be just a very impersonal. But after you finally have established that feel-good atmosphere, you would then state your business, say, you know, I came here for some nails, do you have some? Now, to just walk in and say, you know, I'd like some nails would be rude. But in a cold culture climate, that would be expected. And so as you walk into a store and they say, can I help you with something? Yes, where, do you have nails? Where, where can I find them? And they would tell you. No relationship is established, none is expected. In the hot climate culture, relationship is a value. And so that affects how you communicate. So let's say you just got a haircut. And if you asked a hot climate person what they thought of it, they would say, it's really nice. Even though the haircut looks awful. The goal is to promote that feel-good atmosphere, that friendly environment. The truth takes back seat to the relationship. And often what they'll say is what they think you want to hear. Now, a cold climate person will, well, that's a lie. But to the hot climate person, it's not a lie, it's being polite. And so words are used to establish that pleasant atmosphere and relationship. They don't necessarily have to be true. This is understood culturally and it's not viewed as a lie. And we even in a cold climate culture, we do this somewhat. And some of you would have done it this morning if you came in. Someone asked you, how are you today? Good. But you're not good. And it's a lie. But it's still a cultural way that we do things. And you don't think about it being a lie. But in a cold climate culture, generally truth is of more value. And so if someone said, how do you like my haircut? Uh, some cold culture people would uh, lie and be like a warm culture people and say it's really nice. Some would do that. And so, but what's the difference between a warm culture person saying that and a cold culture person saying that? The warm culture person doesn't think of it as a lie. It's just simply politeness. The cold culture person will think of themselves as lying, but they don't want to hurt the feelings. And so they would tell the lie. They'd rather than hurt the feelings. 
Many cult culture people, though, would rather try to avoid the lie by giving an evasive or non-answer. And so they didn't lie and say it's really nice, but nor did they say it's awful. Perhaps they would find something else to compliment uh, without really answering the question. Some cult culture people would go and handle it this way. Well, it's interesting. Uh, or some would go as far as, well, it'll grow back. Uh, to them, truth is the higher value. And so truth is not about feelings. You asked me what I thought, and I told you. I hurt your feelings? Really? Why are your feelings hurt? You asked me my opinion, I told you the truth. It's nothing to do with your feelings. It's about your hair. That's a cold climate culture. Now put cold climate people into a work situation, their communication will center around facts and truths, getting the job done, uh, the task at hand figured out. Feelings are supposed to be left out of that. It isn't always, but they're supposed to be left out of that. Let's just get the job done, let's get it done well. The more efficient we are, the more production happens and the more money will be made. Another way of describing this is hot climate uh, people are feeling personalities and cold climate people are thinking personalities. And that doesn't mean that hot climate people don't think and cold climate people don't feel. But to the, the feeling type person has the person as the primary focus and combines the task and relationship so you try to have both so it's relational. Even if it means that the job gets delayed or takes longer. The thinking person has the task or goals a priority and separates the task from the relationship. Even means neglecting the person's feelings in order to get the job done. And so they don't mean anything personal by putting the task first. Now the problem is each type assumes that the other type thinks like they do. And that's where you get the clash come in. And often then conflict and hurt. And so a hot culture person when working in a cold climate culture setting will need to learn to respect the time of those they're working with and try to be quick and efficient out of respect for the person and the task. And the cold culture person when working with the hot uh, culture work setting will need to focus more on friendliness and relationship than the task, yet in the end getting the task done. But as when we understand each other, we can make the adjustments and we, uh, that we need to to each other. <coughs> so in conclusion, we are a multicultural church with people from different cultures on both sides of that spectrum, both the cold climate and the hot climate cultures. This is going to require that we're going to step outside of our comfort zones. It requires that we're going to be willing to step outside of our own culture often, even when it makes us uncomfortable. As I explained when we went to Fiji and I had asked them that <clears throat> don't tell them I'm a pastor because then they will relate to me as a pastor and not talk to me. And so we did so well in the, his village and um, there was one man there that I got to know. His name was Sam. He was about my age and uh, over a period of several days uh, we just had a great time talking to each other and uh, getting to know each other. And, but suddenly one day he said to me, he says, what do you do for work in Canada? And I was caught. And I said, I'm a pastor. And this 
super friendly guy, he just instantly froze. And I could just read those emotions on his face. Culturally, he wasn't supposed to be talking to me. And yet, we'd spent several days just really enjoying each other. But what he'd been doing was, in his culture, disrespectful to me. And then suddenly I could just see him make that decision in his mind and he just relaxed. He was going to step outside of his culture and he was going to interact with me based in my cultural way where we could talk one to one. But it required him stepping outside of his cultural zone, his comfort zone. You know, it's inevitable that at times there's going to be a clash between the cultures within our church. At times, there's going to be misunderstandings in our church. At times, there's going to be hurt given, even though the intentions were good. But 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love is patient. Love is kind. Love always protects. Always trusts. Always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. We can navigate the cultural differences if we all have that kind of love. So may those words be true of us as we navigate our differences. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you've brought people into our church from around the world, from different backgrounds. We are the richer because of it. Every culture brings its strengths, and may we just... Uh, Recognize those strengths and allow those strengths to flourish in our church. And I pray that underlying it all would be a love that just helps us to navigate the differences. And may we flourish in our relationships together. And may we flourish as a church. I pray this in Jesus' name.